Welcome to Toronto Today. Jim Taddy reporting for another hour. And then, of course, Matt Cause takes over with gameplay on TSN 1050 and the iHeartRadio Canada app. Boy, I mean, this is great because you can really just narrow this down to two sort of uh, emerging stories. The Yankees against the Jays at the ball yard tonight. 30,000 could be on hand. I wouldn't suspect they would be. Three-game series. Uh, basically, not winner-take-all, but pretty close to it. And uh, the pitching matchup will be uh, Jamison Taylor going for the Yankees. Uh, he goes off at 8-6 and and in a 4.41 ERA against uh, Ryu for the Blue Jays. And he goes off at 13-9 and and 4.34. And coming off uh, some rest, I guess, is the way to describe that. So, uh, again, the, the only change last night was Seattle creeping a half game closer. They're pesky. So the Yankees have a one-game lead over Boston. Uh, Toronto is one game behind Boston and Seattle's the game and a half. So, so you're looking at that. This is a bumper car thing where you could end up possibly with a four-way tie or not. Or it could be all clear or it could be a three-way tie. Plenty of uh, you know things that, that could happen here. And so we will have Steve Phillips, our baseball insider, to join us at the bottom of the hour. The other breaking stories for the Leafs. Austin Matthews took a lap around the rink, according to Kristen Schulten, and will stay for practice. And so this is, uh, you know, the, the big guy comes back to the Leafs, and we'll, we'll see where that goes. I'm sure it's just to sort of test and see how the wrist is. And, you know, you don't want to uh, over-report the, uh, the rehab for the wrist because I'm sure it's all on schedule, if not a little faster than normal. The Leafs coming off that 5-2 loss uh, in Montreal last night. So plenty of things to go over two games in. And the next stop for the Leafs will be tomorrow night in Ottawa. And we'll have that game for you on TSN 1050 starting at 7.30. So uh, Leafs continuing on, and then they're off until the following Monday. They have three games next week, and again, it's all just Ottawa and Montreal and, and then on to the regular season, which we will have uh, live on TSN 1050 as well. Let's bring in Kristen Schulten from practice. Kristen, welcome. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, Jim. How you doing? Uh, pretty good, thanks. And, and you know, I, I guess, you know, the, the headline story is Austin Matthews back, so he's in full practice, is he? No, he wasn't here for a full practice, just uh, for the first half, uh, for about the first 30 minutes or so. The Leafs are still actually on the ice now in that first practice session. But uh, once they started getting into battle drills and uh, there was more contact, he obviously stepped away at that point. But prior to that, it was uh, a lot of shooting, a lot of um, just different um, speed work drills, and uh, he was a full participant in all of that. So the more individualized uh, drills and just sort of working on the, the skill portion of practice, he was uh, able to get out there. And that's the first time that we've seen him with the team, obviously, since uh, training camp started and since he had that wrist surgery uh, in mid-August. So I guess it's a sort of wait and see along the way, but I guess the, the timeline would have him playing maybe just the last preseason game. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it really depends. I mean, if he hasn't been cleared for contact yet, and we don't know uh, whether he has or hasn't, um, hopefully we'll be able to get an update here soon. But um, it, it really just depends on that and how comfortable he is with, you know, going into the corners and potentially, you know, being targeted by other players or, uh, you know, the getting back to game speed um, after a, an injury and a, a surgery like that. That can just, it's really about a player's preference and just how comfortable they're feeling. Uh, in those instances. So we'll have to see uh, where he's at in terms of um, those things. But if uh, there was a game that he was going to get into, I wouldn't think it would be until the end of the preseason schedule since this today is just a a very, I would think, preliminary step into getting him first into a full practice once he's cleared for contact. And then he's got to get his conditioning back 
which he could potentially use a, a last preseason game for. So two full games, obviously two full different rosters for, for both the Leafs and the Habs. What sticks to the wall after two games for you? Well, it's so hard to say because there's just so much that uh, is, is going to be different with this team when they play on October 13th compared to what we've seen so far. I mean, you're seeing different line combinations. You're seeing different defense pairings. We see different line combinations today at practice, just some adjustments uh, there. So for me, I think what's what's sticking out is I've liked, I think, the, you know, for lack of a better word, their compete in these games. I, I think that at 5-on-5 five five, last night was a bit crazy with all the penalties. But at 5-on-5, five five, I, I think that they've played pretty consistently and that everyone's, you know, it seems pretty engaged. It doesn't necessarily feel like anyone's really lagging. And there's a really good buy-in, I think, to this uh, the, the process so far. So I think that that's kind of what's sticking out for me, not really any individual player's so much as just uh, collectively, it feels like what Keith is telling them on the ice, they're finding ways to actually translate that into these games. And uh, so far, I think it's, um, you know, at five on five, it, it looks pretty solid to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I would add, you know, when you're looking at players like Bunting, uh, Richie, and, and Kasha, you can see what they bring to the table. The question is, you know, what is the fit? And you're not going to know that until until you see it develop sort of in front of your eyes in game situations that mean something. Uh, but clearly they, they have something to bring to the table. And my only other concern would be, you know, knowing the pace that the Leafs play at, could they could they fit into that pace? What What do you think about that? Well, as you say, it, it would be hard to even um, theorize on that because we, we haven't really seen them in, in those uh, those larger game action situations. But if I had to, to guess, I think that Bunting would probably be fine. I think that you know guys like Hosang would be fine, but it's the Kasha's, the uh, comps for me. I mean, skill set-wise, I think it definitely works. They can find their spot here, but you do have to play at a certain pace. You have to be able to, to keep up with how quickly the Leafs want to be transitioning, getting plays off the rush. They, they like those, um, you know, they, they like those quick, quick skaters. And, and I think we've seen some good things in the preseason from those types of players. But uh, the blue and white scrimmage on Friday might be a good example of just seeing them in action against each other and seeing how they do and how they keep up and, that's kind of what I'm eyeing is, is I think there's definitely a fit there for those players, um, but maybe they end up in, in more bottom six roles where they're uh, playing a defensive game as well as an offensive one. Yeah, I mean, you have to sort of remember on a breakout how fast they get down the ice and how quick that puck moves when they when they gain the zone, and there's really no way to gauge that, and I think you, you covered that. But, but, I mean, obviously they, they do have the skill level, and the hope is that, that they find a way. Now, we don't talk much about the blue line. Should we? Should we be concerned about anything there, or is it okay? You know, I, I don't know that the, the blue line is especially of concern right now because they didn't really bring anyone else into the mix, right? They're going to be relying on those young players and uh, the Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Lilligren. Um, they're playing now with guys like Jake Muzzin and, and uh, Morgan, Morgan Riley and Travis Dermott uh, have been a, a solid pairing or they, they had a bit of a, a rougher outing last night, but I thought in practice they've, they've looked pretty good. So there's, I don't know that the blue line has been much of a topic of conversation because they kind of have who they have, right? There's not really a lot of wiggle room there to um, debate and discuss who makes the team and who doesn't. They they know who they're counting on, and 
we can see who they're counting on. So that's uh, a, a bit less of a, a concern probably just in terms of, of numbers and, and how it will all fit together. You know, one of the things, we always talk about the, the new people and, and sort of different configurations, but clearly, you know, those top four forwards are all going to be different. Mitch Marner's already spoke about adding to his game and, and doing some work. Uh, Nylander is much more mature, and you would expect that to continue on. Uh, JT with, with probably a continued uh, commitment to more defense, and Austin Matthews uh, obviously wants to do more. It's hard to quantify exactly what that means, but the expectation actually sort of goes up, doesn't it? Well, I think it has to. I think that's the the general feel every season is that you should be working to be better than previously. Obviously, this team hasn't gotten where they want to go, and uh, the only way they're going to get there is is with the players they have. They don't have the luxury of of more money coming in to pay anybody else. So it's got to be growth from within, the internal drive of these guys to be better in whatever areas they need to be in order for the Leafs to actually, you know, be the kind of team that they have talked about to just, like, manifest this goal of, of being a really tough team to play against. And uh, I think these their commitment, obviously, to the development of their players is commendable, but at the same time, it's it's what they have. They don't really have any other option uh, but that. So uh, we're, we'll be uh, definitely watching those players as they go along and then just seeing how, you know, do the new guys push out some of the players that have been here for longer? Does Keith go with a true shutdown line for that third line, which he's been looking at for a long time? Is there someone like Akash or Akamp who fits in that role? Um, these are still the questions that we're looking at, but, you know, the Marners, the Matthews, the Nylanders, you know what they're capable of, and you know they're capable of more even, and they have to be because they're going to be the driving force. But the complementary pieces, there's still a lot to figure out there. Uh, what was your take on the goaltending last night? I mean, uh, clearly it, it's it's a very small and, and I want to say an accurate sample size. I, I think we're all comfortable with Jack Campbell, and, and we saw what Peter Morazic can bring to the table. It was in, interesting to watch, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, it, it's the it's pre it's their first preseason game. It's it's Morazic's first game as a Leaf. It's uh, you know I think for goalies especially, there's you get a lot of reps in practice, sure, but you're not really facing you're facing the same shooter. You haven't seen anybody different yet. And there's uh, certainly for Campbell, I think they hung him out to dry. It's hard to it's hard to assess his game because of of all the penalties and uh, that was not a a great first half I thought for the Leafs in that sense. So. With, I think with that, I, I, it's Jack Campbell's job to lose. I would think the starting role that he's earned it with how he played last year, and then um, you know Morazic obviously is coming in to compliment him and push him and make keep him honest, so to speak. Uh, and I think he's done a, a solid job of that in camp. And I thought that Morazic actually played well. I thought he made some good saves, and Campbell did too. So it, it's going to be a, a, a bit of a horse race here just to see how these players are going to figure this out. And if there is a, a true number one or if it is 1A, 1B, I guess that uh, that will be up to Sheldon Keefe and the players to decide based on uh, how they play. But I thought last night it's it's just so tough when you have that many penalties to really assess uh, a goaltender even because you just you end up in those those situations where you're you're just at a deficit the whole way through. So uh, I think uh, there were there were enough good saves there though that if you're Sheldon Keefe, you're feeling pretty comfortable right now with the tandem that you have. So I mean, really, the way they're calling penalties uh, obviously opens the door for more power play opportunities for the Leafs when we get there, uh, and obviously not the full complement. But in terms of how they're moving things around, what what are you what have you noticed over the last two the first two games of the preseason? 
um, moving things around on for special teams? On, or yeah, in, in terms of the power play, the setup. Oh, the power play. Yeah, I mean, I, we we uh, talked to Mitch Marner yesterday about moving from the flank into the bumper spot in the middle, uh, and I thought, you know, he he seemed fine there yesterday. Again, it's um, it's it's tough with the the fact that you just don't know. It, it's not going to be that configuration, right? Like Matthews is there, Nylander's not there, Tavares is there. Um, they're not all playing together the way that they will be uh, in a, in a real game. But I, I do think that the um, commitment by um, Spencer Carberry, who's taken over the power play, to try different things and. Uh, and all that, I, I do think that it's commendable on his part just to be creative and then to see what he can make out of, um, you know, out of some of these different players and who maybe didn't have great success on the power play last year. But at least they're trying, you know, they're they're trying new things. And um, I think there's a real buy-in from the players as well to be open to those things and to be open to moving to new positions and, um, you know, maybe trying out a, a, a different, um, you know, these these different configurations and see if that doesn't, create uh, something new so it, it really starts you know these first two games it's um you know in more than just assessment i think it's it's more impressive just the way that uh, you know players are really as you can see at practice like they're really putting you know they're all into um really committing to a new role or a new position or a new coach or whatever a new voice you can just see that maybe in even more than in years past just a, a willingness to try new things and um I think you can see that on the ice as well. That we didn't get to see a lot of power play chances in the first game, and last night the four-minute power play didn't uh, get them the results that they wanted. But at least they're they're working on uh, you know changing things up and trying something different. And we have certainly critiqued in the past the Leafs' inability to do that. So now they're obviously uh, committed to um, being you know maybe just a little bit more uh, diverse in how they handle things. Kristen, I know you've got some work to do. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Kristen Chilton, our Maple Leaf reporter at Leafs Practice, and it's uh, media availability now for her, so she'll be talking to uh, players and coaching staff and giving us an update. Uh, a couple of other hockey-related things, and one ties directly to the Leafs. Um, ESPN released their goalie tandem rankings today. The Leafs are ranked 19th overall, 5th in the Atlantic Division after Tampa, Florida, Montreal, and Boston. Uh, this is a ranking that's uh, put together uh, by Stephen Valiquet, former NHL goaltender. He's on the Rangers broadcast. One of uh, they say uh, really into analytics uh, and a CEO of ClearSight Analytics. So he's got all the numbers there, and uh, it's 19th is tough. Uh, and again, because they haven't played together, you don't know exactly how this is going to emerge, uh, and what can you take out of a half game? Last night, the situation didn't favor Jack Campbell, and, and clearly Morazic can make a nice glove save. So whatever that's worth, as it goes along, I just I really believe uh, in the least particular case, it's the whole team. Uh, the goaltending is is obviously part of it, but but it's it's the whole team. Um, I'm just going to read something. Another goalie expert we surveyed felt that number 19 was a reach, not a fan of the Toronto tandem at all, said this particular guy. Uh, Campbell concerns me after 30 games. I mean, these are like stock concerns. We don't know about Jack Campbell because he hasn't done it before, and we don't know about the tandem because they've never played before. And so, you know, when you're talking about Tampa, uh, the, the tandem this is, is top-heavy, right? So don't know exactly how all this plays out. We'll see. Uh, NHL finalized key dates for the season. So the season obviously opens October 12th. Um, the Leafs' first game is, what, the 13th? 
That is correct, sir. Thank you very much. Against Montreal, and we'll have that for you on TSN 1050. February 5th is the All-Star Game. Uh, February 5th to the 22nd is the Olympic break, not totally signed off on yet. March 21st is the trade deadline. May 2nd, the playoffs begin. June 30th, the last possible date for a cup final. And, of course, that's all stretched out because of the Olympic break, if it happens. Uh, and uh, the NHL draft slated for Montreal July 7th and 8th, and free agency opens on July 13th. So everything's pushed by a couple of weeks, or, or actually several weeks, as it's stretched out with the Olympic break. Uh, Coach Keefe uh, talking about Kef and Kashe on the roster, his expectations. Let's listen in. We'll see how, how that all uh, solidifies itself, but it, I just know we have a good player there a very versatile player that's going to help us a lot you know a guy that knows exactly who he is and what he needs to do uh willing to take on defensive responsibilities and and know that you know that's what he does to help the team you know i think you know with he and cash are both you got two guys you know that are very versatile and can can do different things for us cash we know is a good good finish around the net as well like we saw here today and he, he scored in the league um, so, you know, those are two good players for us, and, you know, we're going to, you know, I'm going to enjoy getting to know them better as players and as people as we move along here. But today, a uh, good first step in that process. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that. Last night I'm watching the game, and I see uh, Cash, uh, you know, he's uh, Cash at, uh, skating, and I go, gee, I don't, I don't know if that quite works. And then all of a sudden, deep in the zone, a uh, couple of really nice plays, like on the next shift. And so you know that the ability's there. The question is, you know, can it uh, can it fit? And the same for Richie. Uh, you know, these are sort of uh, I don't know exactly how to describe them. Uh, not hit and miss because they're NHL players. Uh, the question is the exact fit and, and how it works out. And and if it doesn't, uh, you know, that you know, what do you do about that? It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, uh, clearly they're NHL players. They're going to fit somewhere. But here the question is. Does it work here? Does it fit here with the least? Because really, that's where we're at with this team is specific fits, uh, specific roles, and it's not really what you're capable of. It's do you, can you do this to help this line or to help this team? And, and uh, they're all capable. It's it's finding their way. And, and I don't, I just don't know how much of a runway there is for that. But but we're gonna find out, right? We're gonna find out together. This is uh, Coach Keefe on, on Richie's challenge of working his way into the top six. Yeah, it's a challenge for sure. And again, you know, having four penalty kills in the first uh, period there and, and then, you know, two power plays um, that he's not a part of. So the first 24 minutes, you know, uh, there's there's six penalties uh, in the game. He's in the box for five minutes there, plus sitting because he's not in the penalty kill. So a tough way to really get going and get involved in the game. But obviously there's a physical factor there and, and uh you see that he brings that. He had a couple chances, too, uh, to score himself. I thought he made a couple good passes as well. as He shows the good hands that he has. So, you know, you're not going to read too much into one game here, especially a game like this where the first half especially were riddled with penalties. Yeah, so I think when you come out of both those games is uh, there are a lot of elements uh, going back to last night's game and, and Saturday's game. I just have these guys circled, Bunting, Hosang, uh, and uh, Gabriel Saturday, and obviously Muzzin had a great day, uh, game. And uh, Richie, uh, Camp, and, and Kash, uh, Cash, 
Kasha. I, I keep wanting to call him Kasha. It's Kasha. So, uh, I mean, the, all these names here, you want to see more. You want to see a, a bigger sample size. And, of course, you've got four more games, so so you will. Uh, it's intriguing. I mean, you know, it, it, I don't know how else to describe it other than I, I just ha- I want to see it. I don't want to I don't want to think about how it's going to happen. I want to see it happen. So that's a little different from years in the past. Uh, coming up next, we're going to have Steve Phillips on talking about the Blue Jays uh, opening that three-game set against the Yankees. The way it stacks up is Rio against Taylor and then uh, Barrios against Cole and then Ray against Kluber. Uh, and then that's it. So uh, then three games uh, at home to Baltimore. Uh, Manoa is scheduled for Friday. Nobody in for Saturday at this point, and Mats will finish off for the Jays in the three-game set against Baltimore. And this has all kinds of possibilities. I mean, uh, Seattle just won't go away. They have five games left. Everybody else has six. And considering their, their schedules, um, uh, Jays, Toronto, Baltimore, both at home, Boston in Baltimore, in Washington, the Yankees, of course, here for three, and then at home to Tampa. And Seattle has two more against Oakland and, and three at home. All, all Seattle's games are at home against the Angels. So you could be very creative with a script here and come up with a, a massive traffic jam for the wild card, the tie breaks, and, and what happens with all of that. And, and, and getting there is going to be all the fun. This is another story where, I mean, you, you hope it goes a certain way but you want to see how it plays out the next six games for the blue jays will be I mean, it's just going to be a continuing story of the biggest game of the year so tonight is the biggest game of the year and ryu is, is scheduled to start for the jays and hopefully that works out and regardless of what happens tonight tomorrow night this is the biggest game of the year followed by thursday the biggest game of the year that's where we are these things all matter and and, and if they're successful guess what Every other game from here on in is the biggest game of the year. This is really what we're we're here for, right, is, is to enjoy all of this, and hopefully it works out. So Steve Phillips will be next, and this is Toronto Today. Jim Taddy with you until 1, and you are listening on TSN 1050, and, of course, uh, live on TSN 1050 radio, and also live in your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. <laughs> Welcome back to Toronto Today, Jim Taddy reporting. So getting you set for the Jays and Yankees at the ball yard tonight, the big series three-game set. And I uh, just want to correct uh, Jameson Tyon pitching for the Yankees. Messed up his pronouncer later or earlier in the broadcast. Ryu for the Jays, 13-9. Tyon is 8-6. Uh, and six. Buster only on first up this morning talking about the starting pitchers for tonight. I suspect that Charlie and Aaron Boone are probably waking up today and feeling exactly the same about the respective <laughs> starting pitchers. They really don't have any idea what they're going to get. Uh, you know, Jamison Tyone is in the, you know, he's been out a while too. Uh, you know, he's coming back from an injury. And I think either manager today would sign up for five innings and two runs allowed. And then, okay, good. We're good. <laughs> He'll turn over the bullpen. Um, there has to be a lot of uncertainty for both of the managers because you don't really know uh, with Ryu with a you know the lack of command how he's just he just didn't seem sharp um, before he went down you, you don't really know what you're going to get on the other hand you know his heart rate's going to be good you know he's going to handle a big moment he's pitched in plenty of big games uh, and, and with Tyone uh, you know there've been times this year stretches for two months where he was one of the Yankees' best pitchers. And, you know, as he goes out tonight, I suspect that, you know, they're concerned that if his command isn't, isn't uh, good against a really good Blue Jays lineup, he could be in trouble. This, this to me, is such a fascinating game because I think the, the Blue Jays having a distinct advantage in the third game of the series. This one, uh, the two teams in a very similar place. Buster, a couple things. 
so that was uh, Buster only on first up this morning. And, Carlo, we cut him off with the question. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that you have such a big game, and, and it seems like it's totally negotiable. But that just means there's opportunity for one of those two pitchers to step up and, and just take this thing to a, a level that we can't really predict at this time. This is the great thing about a big game is how is it going to play out? Well, you have to watch it. Uh, another interesting round uh, of stories concerning Tampa and will they split home games in future seasons. And that might open the door for Montreal again. I find this an intriguing story. It's, it sort of reminds me of Al Davis and the Raiders in the NFL years ago trying to sort of, um, I guess, uh, stimulate a negotiation for a better local deal. But we'll see what that means, Buster Olney, on, on what he's hearing on that plan. What I hear from Major League Baseball and management sources is that the, the Rays are very serious about this, that they want to pursue this. What I'm hearing on the Players Association side is there's no way that this is going to be approved yeah, um, because you know they the Player Association would have to sign off on a plan that would have the players uh, essentially have you know two homes during the course of the year. I don't you know, and in the current climate when the two sides can't even agree on whether or not to put a can of bullfrog <laughs> out on the mound to help pitchers with sticky substances. I have a hard time believing that the players association will go, yeah, that's fine. We'll we'll uh we'll have the players be up in Montreal for half the season and half the season down in Tampa, which I got to be honest, guys, is why I don't take this seriously until that conversation begins. Cuz that's think- the that's the biggest most important hurdle. It's sort of like saying, yeah, I'm going to climb that that uh, you know, that hill behind my house, but first I'm going to go over Mount Everest. Uh, let's wait exactly. and see how Mount Everest goes before we actually talk about the hill behind the house. Yeah, that's just a crazy scenario, a logistical nightmare. So let's talk. Let's return now to the Jays' big series tonight against the Yankees at the ball yard and bring in our baseball insider, TSN 1050, uh, a baseball insider, former major league manager with the Mets, Steve Phillips. Steve, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great, Jim. Good to be with you. Our pleasure to have you. So this series, I mean, again, the starting pitchers tonight are negotiable in that they could be really good or not. How do you read the starting game that way? Yeah, it's interesting. Both guys coming off the injured list to make the start tonight. And Tyone uh, for the Yankees, uh, Jamison Tyone's had an ankle issue. Obviously for Hinjin Ryu, he just he needed, I guess, neck spasms. He had a forearm strain. And, and they both. I think they're both question marks coming into the game. It could very well be that whichever starter lasts longer in the game, his team will win. Uh, and, you know, ideally, from the Jays' perspective, you know, they would love to score some runs early and build in some margin for error. Because for Ryu, you know, he really needs to be able to attack the zone with strike one, and then he can start to expand the strike zone from there. And, and if he gets a lead, I think it gives him more confidence to go out there and throw strikes and, and not try to miss bats and try to – you know, trick a hitter and throw it off the plate and get him to chase because they don't chase if you don't throw it over. They only chase if they're behind the defensive in the count. So I think strike one's going to be critical for both pitchers, both guys. Neither of them are overpowering pitchers. And I think the changeup in the cutter are going to be critical for Ryu to run the cutter in on the hands of the right-handed hitters and then to sink it away from the big right-handed power bats of the New York Yankees. Uh, so if it's negotiable tonight, it's really not the next two nights. There's some great pitching matchups there. Uh, take us through Barrios and Cole and Ray and Kluber. Those are fantastic outings. Yeah, they really are. And so, I mean, the, the only thing that could be better is quite possibly Ray and Cole going head-to-head. Is They're probably one and two in the Cy Young balloting. Uh, but, you know, Garrett Cole uh, was really good his last time out. 
uh, and uh, against the Red Sox, and then they ended up blowing that game late. But he threw the ball well. Uh, and so I do expect that, that he's going to come out and be on top of his game. And, you know, for Barrios, it's got to be the, the breaking ball for him. has to be effective against the right-handed hitters. You know, they, they're such a right-hand dominant lineup. I know they added Gallo and they added uh, uh, Rizzo, but it's the big right-handed bats that are swinging it. Judge and Stan primarily are really swinging the bat well right now. Uh, and you need to neutralize those guys and keep them in the ballpark. And so that slider can do it. The, you know, well, he calls it a curveball, but that breaking ball can do it uh, and still be a really effective pitch for him as he sweeps it across the zone. Uh, and so that's going to be a great matchup. There's no doubt. And then, you know, for Kluber, Kluber's hittable right now. Uh, he's not the same Corey Kluber that used to pitch in, in Cleveland. Uh, and, you know, his thing is he just wants to bend but not break. He doesn't want to give up four runs in an inning. He'll give up a run here and there and just try to keep the game close. He's not as overpowering as he once was. He doesn't command his pitches as he once did. Uh, and so I think they're, you know, they're, they're three really good matchups of starting pitchers. Uh, tonight, uncertainty for both. Uh, tomorrow, you know, a young stud against uh, Garrett Cole, one of the best pitchers in the game. Uh, and then and Robbie Ray, the Cy Young leader in the American League against Kluber. And so, uh, you know, runs make, you know, we always look at it and think, well, geez, it might be tough to score, but these are two offenses that are hard to hold down. If you make a mistake, both teams can hit it out of the ballpark. And it's probably going to end up that whichever team hits more home runs ends up winning the games and ends up winning the series. I mean, they have some similarities. I get stuck trying to figure out. Uh, I think I, I understand the Jays better than I do the Yankees. The Yankees seem to be prone to really long uh, uh, sort of runs of success and failure. So I, I sort of, like going into this, the weekend series in Boston, I never expected they would do what they did. And I, and I guess I'm trying to figure out who are the real Yankees. What's the answer to that? Yeah, well, the reason that they get streaky on the upside is that you know, they can get a decent outing from starters, but their offense carries them. But the reason they can't sustain consistent performance is they don't have the pitching to do it. Uh, and so they get inconsistent starts, and offense at times can come and go. Uh, and, and that's really been their issue, is that they've won a lot, they've lost a lot, because they get streaky with their pitching and with their hitting. Uh, their bullpen is really questionable. Now, they've gotten Luis Severino back in the bullpen, and there's a thought they're going to get Jonathan Loizaga, who's been one of their best relievers, if not their best reliever. He's got a chance to be back. Now, I, it feels like to me they're rushing Loizaga back, uh, but you know they've overworked the bullpen because their starters haven't gone deep in the game. Chapman's not quite the same guy he used to be. Uh, and so, I, you know, there's a vulnerability in the bullpen where that was always sort of a lockdown Part of it, if you didn't have the lead against the Yankees by the sixth or seventh inning, you weren't going to beat them. But they're vulnerable now, and you can so you know from the Jays' perspective, they just put together consistent at bats. And you know the sign of a good bullpen is not only holding the lead; it's holding the deficit. Hold you know hold the game. You're down four two. Hold it there and allow your offense a chance to come back and win the game. Uh, and you know I think the Blue Jays right now have more weapons in their bullpen than do the uh, the Yankees. And, and so I think there's you know maybe a slight advantage on Toronto's part with where they've gone with their bullpen as opposed to the Yankees. And I think Severino is the real wild card in that for the New York Yankees. So let's go over this. What, what are the keys for the Yankees to get in, the Jays, and the Red Sox? All three of them. What has to happen here? Well, here's the thing is that, that we've got a chance at a four-way tie. 
The Seattle Mariners yeah. are a game, you know, now what, a uh, uh, half game behind the Blue Jays, uh, and they're a game and a half behind Boston. Seattle plays Oakland two more games. They've won 10 straight games against the Oakland A's. Uh, and if they win those two and they sweep the Angels in the final weekend series, uh, and the Blue Jays uh, win two out of three against the Yankees and then sweep the Orioles, and if the Red Sox win two out of three against Baltimore and two out of three against Washington, and the Yankees lose two out of three to the, the Jays and then win two out of three against the Rays, we've got a four-way tie for the two outcard oh. spots. Uh, and so we really have, and like that's possible. Seattle has owned the Oakland A's, uh, you know, this year. They've won ten straight games against them, uh, and you know they're they've got a chance to beat the Angels, who are have already you know been eliminated. Uh, and so, like all of this could possibly happen. So the Blue Jays need to take care of business. The key is going to be keep the game close. Let your offense beat the Yankee bullpen and out bullpen them. Uh, to close it out. And if there's a day you can outslug them, but you might have to steal a game from Moraldis Chapman in the ninth, and it's doable this year because he's not nearly as dominating as he has been. Uh, and so, uh, you know, don't make mistakes. Keep yourself there and try to get it done. Uh, for the Red Sox, you know, their schedule's the easiest. I mean, Baltimore and then Washington, two last-place teams. Uh, and the Yankees have to play the, you know, the Jays and they have to play the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Rays say they want Toronto, which means that they're going to fire on all cylinders against the Yankees. You don't have to worry about the Rays. You know, like a lot of times that last series, the team that's going to go to the playoffs, they're going to get their, their guys rested. They're going to get, you know, you know, they're lined up. They're all the same player. Like everybody they play is the same guy. Like if you sit one guy, the other guy's just as good as the guy you sat. And so they're still going to be very competitive on that last weekend. Uh, it doesn't matter who they play and who they don't. They're all sort of, you know, above average. And so I think it's going to be a challenge for the Yankees. Now, they've got more margin for error than Boston does, but I think it's probably going to end up uh, that the Blue Jays and the Yankees get in uh, and the Red Sox, you know, end up uh, faltering. I mean, I couldn't imagine a better closing week because really all four of these teams have to play the remaining games. And for Seattle, it's five. Everybody else, it's six. Like they're in the playoffs right now, don't they? Right. Oh, for sure. And, and you know, look, I think that, that as long as the Jays take care of business against the Yankees and put themselves in a position that last weekend, you're going to see them play at a very high level against Baltimore. Uh, and the Orioles have a chance to, to really disrupt this. They play the Red Sox for three and then they play the Jays for three. They could they could rally and, and elevate their game to be able to you know try to knock one of these two teams out. Um, and uh, I just love it. I, look, there's a likelihood is that we end up with the game 163, and I think for the Jays that's probably more likely than 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 the others. I think it's the only way Seattle can get in is that people fall back to them because they're going to need a couple teams to fall back. And the likelihood is one of them would probably end in a tie. And I think the Jays and, and Red Sox uh, uh, could potentially end up in a tie uh, and uh, have to have a one-game playoff. And uh, I, as I as I remember looking at that, uh, I think that the uh, uh, the Red Sox have no the Jays have a slight advantage. I think they've won ten. They won the series ten nine. I got to double check that whether that one sixty two would be played in Boston or Toronto. But uh, I think there's a shot that the Jays could end up with having to play that one extra game to then get into the wild card game 
which then makes the run after that even more difficult. Yeah, I'm just going to ask you to go through that that tie break again. I mean, obviously, if the if the if the uh, the wild card, the the second team in the wild card race, and and the one on the outside are tied, we understand what happens there. But what if there's a three way tie? They all yeah. have the same the same record. Right. How does that get broken? So uh, the team that has the best record against each other gets to choose first about whether they're going to be team A, B, or C. Now, team A. Uh, can play, uh, would have to play at home against Team B. Uh, and if they win, though, they have to then go to the next round uh, and play Team C. Team C, though, oh. would play only one game, but they would have to play it on the road. Uh, but, you oh. know, the question is, you get your choice of who you want to be, and the likelihood is that I would probably choose to be C, which would mean that I would play only one game, even if it's a road game, and I'd make the other two teams play each other, burn a starting pitcher, and then have to yeah. play at which either one of those win, I have a chance to play at their stadium. And so, uh, you know, I think that, that the likelihood is that, that um, you know, and, and I, gotta, I don't know exactly, I think the Red Sox right now have the advantage over the Yankees. I know they have that. They won the series this year, and I think they might have the edge over the Rays this year, uh, or the Jays this year. So they probably get to pick who they want to be, and then it would be the Jays hosting the Yankees at home, and then the winner of that would host the Red Sox. Okay, I hate to do this, but anybody listening would would be thinking this. So what if there's a four way tie? I mean, that, that's got to be the yeah. ultimate complication. Right? How do you then break what that? You do is you drop back and punt. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, so then what happens is you're going to have two teams, uh, two two-game series, then the winners will play each other to see who advances as the wild-card team. Wow. So, I mean, it's yeah, fun it, times. it's going it's to be so great. I, I, I'm praying for the four-team four tie. That would be amazing. And, and just to sort of put in the wild card for the Jays roster, with George Springer back, finding his offense, playing uh, in the outfield, that's got to be the ultimate uh, booster rocket for this team, don't you think? Especially with Gurriel, right? The, the Lourdes Gurriel yeah. injury is one that's going to be really interesting to see uh, what that's like. Now, we also know Aaron Judge dislocated his pinky in that game on Sunday against uh, the Red Sox. Now, he popped it back in, and he said he's done it before, so I suspect he's going to be okay. But the Guriel finger injury, where he had the couple stitches put in, it would sure be good to have his bat back in the lineup. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether that's DH or whether that's in the field, it would make a big difference for them. But it is nice to have Springer back. And when Springer gets hot and it looks like he's starting to heat up, he could really go on a run. We've seen him do it before when the games have meant the most. He elevates his performance, and they could really use that boost at the top of the lineup. Uh, one more question before we let you go. It's that uh, that, tr- that Tampa-Montreal thing, the split uh, seasons in the future. It sounds like a logistical nightmare. What are your thoughts on that? So, so like, I, I, from every indication I get, this is the owner uh, in Tampa, or in St. Pete, who is, it, it sounds like a good idea to him. But yeah. I got to tell you that it just, like, they can't get, Tampa or St. Petersburg to build them a new stadium for a full season, why would they build them a new stadium for half a season? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And effectively what they're doing is they're saying, we want to create a team that has to do what the Blue Jays have done the last couple of years, which is playing multiple sites during the course of the season 
when we looked at it and thought how remarkable it was that they did what they did. Now, it would be, you know, half the season in Tampa, half the season in, in Montreal. But from a fan's perspective, so I'm going to invest my time in the first half of the season, and then you're going to move and finish the season somewhere else. It doesn't make sense economically. It doesn't make sense competitively. It doesn't make sense from a fan's perspective. It doesn't make sense from a player's perspective. Now, tell me what player, free agent, is going to say, let's sign up for this, and his wife, which player's wife is going to go along with that? Because what ends up happening is the wives are the ones left having to do all the relocating. And so what do you do with your kids in school? What do you do with where you live? What do you do with housing? You're going to get a lease for half a year. You're going to buy a place in, in Tampa and in, in Montreal. But it's it just the Players Association will be like, wait, what are you trying to do? This doesn't make any sense. So I, I think it's a negotiating ploy. I think it's leverage on trying to get Tampa to think that there's, they're at risk of something to get them to build a stadium. And if I'm Montreal, why do I want to sign up for, for building a stadium for half a season when a couple years from now there will be expansion? They're going to get the 32. Once they get Tampa, like don't help Tampa – and put yourself in a position with half a team, make Tampa get a solution somewhere else so you can get a full team for a full season with your stadium. So I, I, don't, I don't think it w- works for anybody except the owner in Tampa who thinks it's a great idea. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I said this before you came on. It sounds like Al Davis and the Raiders in the NFL years ago. He just he wanted a stadium deal, couldn't get it, moved to L.A. and then moved back to Oakland, and, and now they're gone to Vegas. So, I mean, it's, it, is, it is a search for a stadium, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really just negotiating, it feels like to me. And, you know, Rob Manfred uh, is more than willing to go along with leverage plays. You know, like in Oakland, you know, they can't seem to get the vote that they need. And so he says, listen, Vegas is real. We're going to go and explore Vegas right now. When I don't think they want to take the Vegas market out of expansion either as a potential place to go. Uh, and so... Uh, I think that's leverage to get Oakland to finally, you know, get something done. And if they, you know, for the final chance, give a chance. And if they can't do it, then move on somewhere else. And he's willing to support that, as he should. I think it's all about negotiating and and applying pressures. And so uh, I just, I don't see the two-city plan making any sense at all. Totally agree. Uh, Just a quick thought on the way out. Uh, Gut reaction. Uh, The Jays will do what this week? I think they go five and one. I think they win two out of three against the Yankees, and I think they sweep the Orioles, and that puts them in a place to to get the second wild card spot or a tie to to play a one game playoff for that second wild card spot. Okay, we're going to hold you to that. Thanks a lot, Steve. Okay. Appreciate it. <laughs> you got it. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, that's Steve Phillips, our baseball insider. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Oh, very happy for Dak. I, I think, you know, any of us that have had a chance to witness, you know, how much he puts into it, he's just a great leader for our football team. He's obviously playing the quarterback position at a very high level right now, and, you know, I think it's like a lot of things like you get what you put into it. He's off to an excellent start. That is Mike McCarthy uh, talking about Dak playing uh, for the Cowboys and, and what a fine job he did last night, 21-26, 238 yards, three touchdowns as the Cowboys wasted uh, the Philadelphia Eagles big time 
uh, just looking around for my scoreboard, they just absolutely blew them away. And, and so that, that happens. That's a, an NFL, NFC East game. It used to be called the least, and, and we'll see if that actually applies to what happens this year. I'm just going to look at my uh, standings and, and uh, figure out where exactly uh, everything sort of maps out uh, for uh, the uh, the Cowboys. I love when the computer freezes. That's always a fun moment. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on. There's actually CFL football tonight on TSN. Um, Edmonton uh, is uh, – I just got to get my schedule. I'm just having a rough time here with, with the computer that's, that's absolutely locking up on me as I'm on the air. Always fun when you're trying to use technology and it freezes on you. Uh, so anyway, we've got CFL Tuesday night football, and uh, that'll be uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks hosting – Edmonton Elks. Okay, good. So it didn't freeze. We sorted all that out. So let's get back to the NFL story. Uh, Dak Prescott, uh, Prescott, sorry, on, on uh, how he played last night, and uh, he was pretty happy with himself. It was an emotional night for him returning to the field where he had his big uh, injury a year ago. You're playing as well as you ever have since you've come into the NFL. Do you feel that way? For sure. Everything that I've been through, getting hurt last year and having to sit back and watch football, getting a different perspective of just different ways people play this game and all the work that I've put in just to get back healthy and not only with the leg but with the shoulder and just, yeah, I feel like I'm playing the best I've ever played. And, well, he did. 41-21 was the score for uh, Dallas over Philadelphia last night. Uh, there's an interesting piece in a, in a recent uh, article on, uh, Rolling, uh, from Rolling Stone about um, the NBA and its anti-vaxxers. Uh, Kyrie certainly uh, got into this yesterday. Uh, and, and so his situation is, due to New York City's COVID-19 regulations, Irving will not be allowed to play home games in Brooklyn if he is unvaccinated due to New York City requirements. So this thing travels on, uh, on a couple of levels. First of all, there's the local level, there's the state or provincial, level and that is the federal level and and this it sort of involves it for different rules and in different situations and uh, you can imagine with the different sports there are different routines i'm going to tell you that the nhl has at this point made a decision not to seek a national interest exemption um, and uh, nba players who are unvaccinated will be able to uh, because they have that uh, national interest exemption so unvaccinated players like kyrie Irving could come to toronto and play but he can't play in his own city and he can't play uh, if they were to play a game in San Francisco, so there's there's all kinds of little uh, uh, variables that, that come into play here. And Kyrie Irving did speak about it uh, yesterday on uh, not being able to be present with his team. He has to follow the protocols, so he has to be off site. Obviously, living in this public sphere, there's just a lot of questions about what's going on, and you know, in the world of Kyrie, and I just would love to just keep that private. I'm not able to be present there today, but that doesn't mean that I'm I'm putting any limits on the future of me being uh, able to join the team. Um, then there's the Andrew Wiggins situation, and, uh, well, he was a little more terse about it. Andrew, you seem pretty convinced. Um, what's the reason for not just explaining what you believe? Because it's none of your business. That's what it comes down to, <laughs> you know. I ask you guys about your beliefs. I don't ask you guys what you think is right or wrong. You know, we're different people. It can be like parenting. Some people shed their beliefs onto their children. Some people let their children to grow up and believe what they want to believe. Who are you guys where I have to explain what I believe or, you know, what's right or what's wrong in my mind? We're two totally different people. You know, what you think is not what I think. What I think is not what you think. 
you know, nobody's going to disagree with what he said there. I mean, it, it is totally true. I, I think that our concern here is not the decision that people make. Uh, our concern is how it works for a team because we're covering teams, and so you want to know who's able to play for your team, and you want to know how it affects your team. And I mean, this is this is why we, we talk about it. As far as the actual decision goes, that that's yours to make. There's no question about it. Uh, for athletes, uh, there are different rules, and and the other problem is that it's not the same rule for each sport. There are different exemptions. Uh, obviously different teams in different cities so you've got the local uh, exemptions or, or rules that that have to be followed and it just it creates a um well it, it sort of goes uh, hand in hand with 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 the pandemic situation it creates a level of confusion uh, and so that's what you're left trying to sort through it nobody makes a judgment on anybody's decision that's for sure so we'll leave it at that it, it's going to be intriguing to see how it plays out i will say this though when the nfl season started we had all kinds of conversation about how the difference of opinion on a vaccination would affect the teams and so far that seems to be going okay so uh, you know it's 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 kind of disturbing for a fan base to understand that you may lose a game because of but having said that i, I don't know that there's been uh, a lot of concern the the game sort of took over when the nfl got underway and, and hopefully that applies to the nba as well we do know that the, the raptors are one second dose away from being 100 percent vaccinated i think the knicks are as well and you know if you're keeping score on that stuff that's where we stand up next gameplay with matt cause it goes one to four gameplay is canada's first daily radio show focused on sports betting and fantasy providing listeners with the inside edge on every sport along with the latest lines best prop bets and more thanks for stopping by